Some of you know the phrase of the title of the sermon that I have for today, Houston, we have a problem. That's a, a phrase that's right up there with beam me up, Scotty, but actually there's a bit of a misstatement here attributed to Apollo on Moonflight back in 1970. It doesn't mean the seriousness of as to how we use it. Actually, there was a technical uh, fault in uh, a service module's oxygen tanks, and this is how it went down. A Swigert says this, okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. Houston, this is Houston. Say again, please. Then Lovell says this, Houston, we had a problem. We had a main B bus undervolt. Now, what an undervolt means, who knows what it is, but the phrase has morphed into meaning that we have a serious, serious problem. And it was a tagline in the 1995 film Apollo 13 to create drama surrounding the mission. But in the use of that phrase, it really fits with the issue of the home today. Houston, we have a problem. Let me put up some of the stats on the screen for you. You'll notice that uh, these are a little bit old, but it's, it's kind of the latest that I could find right, right now. The first one there, only three out of 10 born-again parents included the salvation of their child in the list of critical parent, parental emphasis. Three out of 10. Another one, only 24% of parents who attend weekly emphasize faith as a mark of parenting success. Here's another one. 83% of people believe parents should be the most responsible for a child's spiritual development, but only 35% say that their religious faith is one of the most important influences on their parenting. So while parents there want their children to have a spiritual faith, they don't consider their own faith as the, all that important in that process. Let me give you some more. This is in terms of Bible-believing based believers by generation. The builders, born 1927 to 45, 65% were Bible-based believers. Boomers, I'm in the middle of that, 46 to 64, 35% based. Busters, from born from 65 to 1983, 16%. Look at millennials, born 84 to 2004. Only 4% of them are Bible-based believers. And yet the question there, Generation Z, born after 2005, what will that be for them? But one last statistic here. Look at on the screen, 61% to 88% of teenagers after graduation leave the church. They walk away from the church. See, Houston, we have a problem. There was a grandparenting video that the Bordners played on grandparenting, and the speaker talked about one of the challenges, though, on this issue as we look at the family. And he, I think he was spot on in terms of the response to the parents and how they respond to looking at the issue of parenting. And on one end, he pointed out, people feel great guilt there's a feeling of failure. Parents get trapped in shame when they look back and go, you know what, I just didn't do well in the area of the spiritual world. And even there, the tendency, I think, is for us to hide the fact that our kids aren't doing all that well. And I think sometimes it's, Ken, will you please not remind me 
that I failed. But then there's the other end of the spectrum, not wanting to admit any fault. And there's a phrase that makes us feel better. I think we kind of say that, and I've actually heard it. You know, I just did the best I could. God is in control. But what that statement functionally is about is denying any responsibility in the parenting process. Now, I, I think there's a right response, and I think it's this. We've got to trust God that he is not done in using us to influence our children. But to begin with, I, I need to throw a question at you. And I've used it in parenting, and maybe you've heard this uh, from me before, but it's so key. On your notes there, I'll, I said it this way. If you are a parent... What are your greatest desires, dreams, and goals for your children? Have you ever paused and actually talked about that question with your spouse? What do you guys really want from the children? And this applies, understand, to parents with young kids and all the way even through a grandparent. Grandparents, what do you want for your grandchildren and your adult children? See, recognize, though, that that desire, the goals that we have, are often connected to even when we grow up. You know, I, I was in the athletics, I was a sports guy growing up, and I'm not naive enough to realize that I wanted that for my children. It was a part of my dreams, and it's now a part of my grandchildren. See, our desires matter. Our dreams, our goals for our kids matter. But i got to point something out. I'm going to put this on the screen for you. When it comes to our dreams, our dreams and our goals reflect our real values. And you see the next statement. Our values are what determine our priorities. And our priorities reflect our use of time, money, and energy. And our use of time, money, and energy give reflection to the spirit's condition of our own hearts. To say it differently, our dreams and the goals of our lives are connected to the spiritual reality of our own life. Here, let me put a, another statement on the screen. It's geared toward parents with kids at home. So for you that have young children, Kids at home, your dreams, what you want in life, what you value, will be a deeply and a strong influencing factor in how your child approaches their own life. And the reality exists that our dreams, our goals for our kids can have a negative influence or a positive influence on the spiritual destiny of our children. 100%? No, there's not a total correlation. We'd be foolish to believe that. But I think it's fair to say, come back to the title. Houston, we have a problem. Now, if you're a teenager, I would ask you directly, what, what's your dream about? Where do you want to go in life? What, and what has shaped your dream for the future? Now, I, I do need to acknowledge something here. Just pause and... Parenting isn't easy. It's complex. I even just think of the different categories of families that are even within this room. We have the traditional, a blended family. 
shared parenting families, separated families, never been married families. So there is great diversity and it makes it complex, okay? So I, I have to acknowledge that. But those questions, what do we really want? What are we aiming for? How do we define a spiritually healthy home? You know, I've used these questions in doing some parenting conferences over the years. And I've, I did one out a number of years ago at my son's uh, former church in California when he was out there. And so what I do is I'd hand out a sheet of paper and I'd have asked the parents, write out the top three things that you want for your children. Can I give you some of the things that they put in there that I do not believe should be in that top three? Here's the first one. I want my kid to be happy. But listen, is happiness a path to a life-changing relationship with Jesus? Listen, I want my children and grandchildren to be filled with joy, but for the right things. Another one, often here. I want my kids to have a good education. My mom was a teacher, a very good teacher. I started to go down that path. My daughter's an educator. We have bunches of educators here in the church. But is education the highest priority to connecting our children to the one who can save them from hell? Another one. I want my kids to be successful. But the question there, who defines success? See, the world is trying to define it. And it begins to link it with money, with job, career, with meaning that has nothing to do with Jesus. See, see the question, how would Jesus view success? And here's what, I'd like to give you a passage that I think speaks into one of these issues. You notice on the screen there, here was the title kind of of this section of scripture in my Bible, The Cost of Following Jesus. Look at Matthew 8:18. 8, now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That, those verses, Jesus did not have an earthly home. He had a heavenly one. But see, what are we communicating to our children in some form? What is success? There's a question here to throw on the screen. Here's for moms and dads. I, I think you need to have a discussion and ask this. What are we communicating about the definition of success to our children? Go for it. Talk about it at home here today. But let me go farther. What I've discovered is that over the years, and especially for those people that attend churches just like ours, that there's really four different categories as to how they define what they want for their kids. And it's kind of a summary statement in a number of different categories. But the reality is, is that there's subtle goals that we have. And, and we at times 
are communicating one thing verbally, but on the inside, or maybe our behavior, we're actually communicating something else in terms of what we really want. I think it's easy to be a hypocrite. You know, I, I wanted my kids to love Jesus, but I'm going to be the first to admit, boy, I failed so often to demonstrate that in my life in front of my kids. Now, the truth is, you know, God's grace is real. It's not the end of the story, even for me, being able to influence my children and my grandchildren. But let me give you the four categories, and you can follow along in the outline there and fill in the blanks there on your notes. But the first one is this. Here's for some people. I want my child to be a nice kid. And you go, who doesn't want a nice kid? Some of you rebelled when you were younger. And deep down you're going, man, I hope my kid doesn't do what I did. So you want them to be nice. And sometimes nice kids have nice parents. And sometimes nice kids can even occur with flaw deeply flawed parenting. You know, who wants a reputation? You know, that family over there, there goes the Abramsons with those kids. See, we want nice kids. But here's, I think, kind of the definition of nice. I want my kid to be moral. I want them to get along with people. I want my kid to have a nice job, you know, and really learn to support themselves in the future. You know, to be responsible. I want them to respect me, care for me when I'm older. That's nice. You know, I put a quote in the newsletter here that came out on Friday. It's from a book that I listened to over vacation. And it's from a guy by the name of Bettis. And listen to the quote. We discipline our children not so that they will make us happy, but so that they will serve Christ as adults. We educate them not so that they can have a good job, but to develop them to be the best follower of Jesus they can be. We work hard to prepare them, not for graduation day, but for the judgment day. Did you catch that last statement? Have you ever thought of it this way, that we are preparing our children for judgment day? And that one day, we have to give an account in front of God the day we die. As parents, we do that. And, and I know this as well. Our children have to give an account for their own lives as well. They are also responsible for themselves. But when parents are dabbling or ignoring the spiritual world, it really shows that the parent has little understanding of faith, salvation, the story of God, even redemption in a fallen world. And you realize that many neighbors, many of your relatives might fit into this category in terms of the goal of their parenting. You know, last week, I challenged us to go, God wants to use our homes for the kingdom. And is there a way to stir conversations, even surrounding issues like this, with other people to use it as a tool to help others to think about eternity? Can I throw you an example of a starter question? Leverage it, even the discussion, and you can blame me as a, kind of the jumping off point. Here, I'll put it on the screen. My pastor was challenging us, challenging us on our dreams and the goals that we have for our children. 
Have you and your spouse ever talked about that question? I'm curious. You know, you have kids. How would you answer that question? What are your goals for your children? And just see where it leads. It's a gentle knock on the door. And can we have a discussion about the home? And eventually maybe help to bring Christ into the picture. Second category that I've observed. Number two there for your notes. I want my child to be a nice Christian kid. You know, growing up, there was a phrase that had been thrown around, I think, for about 50 years, maybe longer. And, and it's actually become a cliche. And it's, this is the phrase, I just want my children to be walking with the Lord. I want my kids to be walking with the Lord. Can I ask a question? What does that really mean? See, I, I think this was the category at times for us as we were growing up. In my home, we didn't have a lot of spiritual conversations. There were some subtle expectations, and I think it, it was some of this. Ken, obey the rules that we put in place and don't get into trouble. Ask Jesus into your heart for fire insurance. Learn to obey the Bible. Make sure, Ken, make sure you marry a nice girl. Now, marrying a Christian girl never was stated, okay? Act nice, attend church, learn to serve somewhere. I think that's the summary of wanting a nice Christian kid. You know, working with college kids for so many years, an observation, nice Christian kids often marry a spouse that has little spiritual interest. Why? That is where they really are at spiritually. You know, I used to say this directly to college students and just very pointedly, you look to date someone where you are really at spiritually. It reveals your spiritual makeup. Dating reveals one's real values. If those students were farther along in Christ, if they were really beginning to pursue Jesus and walking with him, they wouldn't settle for just a nice Christian. Those students would let those people go. See, but many of these kids in this category, as soon as this group gets away from a church environment, as soon as their faith is tested, they walk spiritually. Yes, they may have prayed a prayer, but if you quiz them, you really find that they don't have a substantive relationship with Jesus. And you throw in the world and its attractions, and it crowds out any sense of spiritual interest very quickly. And many parents, though, settle for the idea that they just want their children to be nice Christian kids. But there's a third category as well. On your notes, I said it this way. I want my child to follow Jesus. And this group of parents, 
embrace a couple of passages and and they look to the scriptures and and a couple of those texts that they use would be Deuteronomy chapter 4 and chapter 6. I want to read those for you this morning. Look at Deuteronomy 4 verse 9. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. This one is so important in the parenting process. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Very pointed parenting text. And here's the challenge. It's actually to do these verses. Parents, but notice something. Action must happen. It must take place. We keep thinking it can just happen. But this passage, it means that it starts loving God for us first. We are to press this command on our hearts first. We impress them on us first and then on our children. But even in Deuteronomy 4, you notice the direct engagement of teaching. But it also assumes a lifestyle. As you go, Tie them as symbols on your hands. Put them on your foreheads. You'll notice the principles that really are taking place over and over again. It starts with the parents. But there has been a default belief over the years. And I want to put an equation on the screen. Too many parents believe this. Bringing your kids to church equals Deuteronomy 4 and 6. And I would put a line in that equal of going, it does not. Now, is the church, I want to defend the church, because is it necessary? Absolutely. And all the stats would say that it is vital to a healthy home. Matter of fact, no church, you have little chance of a child continuing to walk with Christ. But there are lots of ways to apply these Deuteronomy principles. But there's no specific formula to these principles. But it does shout to us our responsibility to influence our children. And it starts with our own faith. See, the greatest impact in the spiritual world, the stats would say this over and over. It's a mom and a dad who talk about their faith and a mom and dad who demonstrate it, who live it out in front of their kids. But your children need the church. And if you're not encouraging them strongly, you're missing something very important. And we're going to hit on this on another Sunday. But church, again, I recognize, is not the primary place where spiritual influence actually starts. 
1992, I was hired at Baxter Free Church. I was the first youth pastor there at the church. And I ended up doing some calculating here the other night of how many hours a committed student in the youth ministry was connected to the church family. So it was worship service, youth group, other activities that were going on. You know, it really fulfills the command to not give up meeting together from Hebrews there, okay? But I totaled up and I co a committed student back then, so this is about 25 years ago, okay? Somewhere around 250 to 300 hours a year that they were connected to church. That's about 20 to 25 hours a month. And I understand for my youth ministry, the goal was to help them become a disciple of Jesus. That was our purpose. And the church can help in that. The church is losing ground with youth today. And a typical youth group today, because of sports, because of the change of how people view the church, even the definition of commitment to a local church, for students today, it's typical more in the 150 to 160 range a year, maybe 13 hours a month. It is about a half. See, I believe that the church is having less impact because of the way that parents approach the church. But here's where I, I need to put up that illustration that I used last week. And if you weren't here, you can go online and listen to that. It is so important. The picture of a campfire. There on the screen, parents, you are to be a spiritual campfire for your children, spiritually speaking. Now there's a nuance here I got to remind you of. Go down a path here. Moms and dads aren't always burning the same in terms of spiritual influence at the same capacity. One spouse might be burning more intensely and the other may have no flame. But in light of that, I need to put up a passage that I discovered and in, in, was reminded of in the book that I was listening to on vacation. And Paul here is writing to Timothy and I want to read this verse. It is so encouraging. 2 Timothy 1.5. Look how it goes. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Lois and Eunice were the campfire for Timothy. Two women impacted Timothy. His dad had no spiritual influence on him. Timothy was impacted profoundly by his mother and grandmother. That is a great encouragement for homes where a spouse maybe doesn't know Christ or is at a very different place spiritually. But now, this is also true. Paul, in one sense, adopted Timothy as his son, and Paul became a spiritual father to him. But I am convinced that Paul, as well as Eunice and Lois, viewed parenting a bit different. See, there's a phrase which we must adopt and figure out as a parent, and the phrase is this, they discipled Timothy. 
the question, what does it mean to disciple your children? Not just nurture them, not just parent them. What does it mean to disciple them? And here's the challenge. Most of the time, we look back and say this, no one did it for us. And I recognize even in this room here today, there are many first-generation Christians. No parent ever discipled you. And maybe no one really, you've been figuring out that journey of discipleship alone and you really haven't had the input that you could have or should have in your life. But here's a word that we got to put in our vocabulary and that goes with discipleship and we cannot ignore this word. It is the word intentional. Intentional. And we'll drill down that and use that word all the time in this series. But a healthy home must become intentional when it comes to faith development. An observation, though. Way too many parents don't want to be intentional to the degree that they should be in the spiritual world. I think of sports parents, hockey parents, basketball parents, band parents. The number of time that parents get up and bring their kids to school or to the skating rink to skate before school even begins. That is intentional. You think of our education system. We are intentional. Do you let them not go to school because they don't like it? Because it's, you go, no. And yet in the spiritual world, it's optional. See, we don't want our kids to miss a sport practice, but in the spiritual world, it's optional. We don't let them stay home from school because we know it's good for them. Somehow in the spiritual world, we really don't believe that structure and consistency is important, but it is critical for a healthy home. And there is a fear. And if we're not careful in the spiritual world, here's what we think. And I think it's a misbelief. I don't think it's accurate, but we believe it. If I hold my kids accountable in the spiritual world, I might drive them away from God. And I go, you never really drive them away. It's where they're at. And if they're fighting you in some way, it's where they're at. See, and then somewhere in the spiritual realm, parents resort to letting children decide everything. And I say this, parents, your kids have the flesh. They're marked by the flesh. And if you let them decide everything, they're going to figure out how to work it and they will succumb to the flesh. Deuteronomy chapter 6. If we were to go back there again, we don't have time. The impression that the parents are to make on their kids. Do you think that was optional if the kids just said, I don't want to hear it? And you don't know. Listen, I'm going to use this word I tried to indoctrinate my children 
with biblical understanding, with biblical doctrine, and even theology of who God was. So we think, we, we keep thinking, you know, they should just choose their path to spirituality. I don't know. The flesh will always pull them away and move the self away from God. So I didn't let my kids choose their own doctrine, choose their theology. I tried to impress it on them. See, the world keeps saying, oh, let your children choose their spiritual path. And I go, that is contradictory to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Even when it comes to the church. If our attitude toward the bride of Christ, that the church is optional, the kids will inevitably adopt a consumer attitude toward the body of Christ. They won't view it as important. And we're modeling that. Folks, modeling is essential. And again, we've got to go a lot deeper into that. We will. And all of this, on top of that, realize there still are no guarantees, no formulas. You have sin in people's hearts. Hearts become hard. And we need to understand how the flesh works, how the heart works. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just memorize some verses, recite some creeds, creeds do A, B, C, D, and poof, you got a godly kid? You know, reading here, at the time of Christ, there was three levels of spiritual education. I don't know if you realize this. The first level went up through about 15, and they actually had to come to a place where even by the age of 15, many of them would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. But if you got to the third level, if you were kind of the cream of the crop in spiritual leaders, they would get asked by a rabbi to follow that individual. They, they were mentored. But for that group of people, recognize something, and th these are the ones that became the Pharisees and the leaders, okay? They had most of the Old, Testan Old Testament memorized in this category. They had memorized the whole Old Testament and they still crucified Jesus. See, just memorizing scripture doesn't guarantee your child's going to know Christ and follow him. There's no formulas. There's no parenting blueprint. I want my daughter and my son to be a disciple of Jesus. But here's the deal. This is level three. I believe there is a fourth view that very few people adopt. Matter of fact, I'd say it this way. Deuteronomy 6 isn't the pinnacle passage on parenting. It's actually Matthew 28. Let me put it on the screen. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. But you've got to catch something here. The ultimate goal of parenting is not to just make them a disciple of Jesus. Number four, I want my child to become a discipler. 
somebody who can make disciples, a disciple maker. Folks, the ultimate parenting goal for our children is to have our children become disciple makers that they would be going, that they would be teaching others, including their children their, when, when they have them, and helping others to walk toward Jesus. See, this idea is not on the radar of most churches when it comes to the home and the family. Now, listen just a moment. Let, let me put that cliche, say the cliche again. I want my child to just walk with the Lord. Versus this, I want my child to become a disciple maker, a discipler within the kingdom of God. Do you feel the difference? Let me put up another picture for you. A campfire picture again. The goal is for you as being that middle campfire, to light a campfire under your children's chair, that they become a campfire and they have other people around their chair. Our children need to understand that God is calling them to a spiritual mission. They are called to have their own campfires. The ultimate parenting goal is for our children to have their own campfires with people sitting around them. But parents, this is where modeling comes in. Do we have others around our campfire beyond our family? Now here's where the challenge is. Some of you are feeling great guilt right now. And this may have been the first that you've ever recognized this. And I'll tell you, I didn't hear this stuff when I was in high school, when I wasn't even in college. But here's my exhortation to you. Parents, keep praying. Don't give up. Don't allow guilt to paralyze you. Realize that by God's grace, you can still have profound influence even on your grown children and your grandchildren. For you that don't have kids, understand how this, I hope you caught how this applies to you. You also are supposed to have a fire of influence. People around your campfire, you might need to be adopting, like Paul, adopting another son or another daughter. But it means being intentional. And we're going to be going and pushing this even farther than how does this play into a healthy home. So parents, there's good news. God isn't done with us yet. It's never too late to learn to disciple others. We have a redeeming God who still wants to use us. So the most important thing you can do today, keep pursuing Him. Fall in love with Him. 
Allow the Spirit to keep changing you, to change the heart, and you will begin to have influence like ways that you have never experienced if you keep doing that. He'll give you purpose and meaning in life. So we're going to continue unpacking this. A healthy home. It starts with kids and the goal having our children and the kids in this church become disciple makers. Let's stand and pray.